Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Bless you all for being here today. We're working through Beth Kempton's book, Freedom Seeker, with the idea of bringing more freedom into our lives this month. Last week, you'll remember, we talked a little bit about some of the unfreedoms that we experience. We talked a little bit about when opportunities turn into obligations. We talked a little bit about when relationships turn troublesome. We, we talked about some of the things that almost make it feels like you're caged whether it's a bad relationship or a difficult job, some kind of an experience where you feel like you're struggling and you can't get out and yet there's some, some reason you're stuck in it. You really can't walk out of it. That idea of being trapped and feeling limited. We ended on a more positive note, of course, than that, <laughs> uh, with the idea of the ultimate goal, truly being our authentic selves and the courage to really stand up for what is important to us. In the book, uh, Beth Kempton talks about eight keys that we might use to experience greater freedom. And so for the rest of the month, we're going to be talking about some of these specific keys, specific tools or ideas that you can use to step out of some of those cages that we've built out. Even if they're cages really that exist mostly in our minds, still we need that release from them. We need the permission to move beyond it. And I think the rest of this book is going to provide that to us. Today I'm focusing in on two of the keys that she talks about in the book. Uh, one is curiosity and one is playfulness. And I want to take each one of these in order today and see if we might use these tools, if you will, these abilities that we have, both to be playful and to be curious, to experience greater freedom. Well, I want to start with uh, curiosity, and naturally I found just the most amazing joke about curiosity. So the child was a typical four-year-old girl with the curiosity to match. One day, she started asking all sorts of questions about marriage. How do you know to get married, she asked. What's it like? When would she get married? Is marriage hard? And so on and so forth. Well, seeing her difficulty and kind of figuring it all out, her father decided to pull out the wedding photo album, thinking that visual images of their marriage would help. So one page he turned after another, he pointed out the bride arriving at the church, at the entrance, the beautiful sanctuary that had been laid out for the wedding, the wedding cake, the wedding receptions, the first dance, the reception, and one by one, trying to answer her like zillions of questions about each little part of it. Now do you understand, he asked, now do you understand more about marriage? Well, I think so, she said. So marriage is like when mommy came to work for us? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Low blow. You did not see that one coming. Yeah. So let's talk about this bigger idea of curiosity, though. Is it actually a good thing that we're curious? Is that childlike questioning that sometimes goes into amazing detail, almost beyond any kind of sensibility, is that level of questioning and curiosity useful? The answer actually is yes. Curiosity itself is one of the things that can get us out of a trap. 
to get us out of feeling like we're encased in some kind of a situation or some kind of an arrangement, whether it's a a, a family arrangement, a, a work arrangement, anything where you're feeling trapped, natural curiosity is actually one of the keys to get out of it. Now you might ask, why is that? Well, first of all, curiosity itself is a form of freedom. When you are naturally curious, you're not fettered by any ideas of how things exist. Like the, the, the girl in the story, right? She just kept drilling down, question, at, you know, eventually you would have gotten to, why is the sky blue and why is the, the dirt hard, right? And that level of unfettered questioning, that, that level of natural curiosity blows away all of those restrictions that tend to put us in a box. If you think about it, one of the things that is both a, a, the killer in a business situation and a wonderful thing in a business situation is brainstorming. Now, how many of you, though, have been in a brainstorming uh, session where one or two members in the brainstorm were like, no, that's not going to work. No, we've tried that before. No, we did that two years ago and things got worse. Oh, no, we don't have the money to implement that, Right. It's like, what a killer. What a way to totally kill the freedom of exchange of ideas that could produce something really outside of the box. But hopefully, we've also been in a brainstorming where it was no holds barred. There was no judgment. It was a simple exchange of, of really wild and creative ideas where, where no one said, no, that won't work. In fact, in fact, it felt in the moment like any of them could work. That is freedom. Now, it may be you still need to winnow out some of the ideas. At some point, uh, you need to start looking at the ones that, you know, maybe are easier to implement or, or ones that bring more results that you're looking at. But the basic idea, of course, of brainstorming, the very nature of curiosity is let's look outside of the situation that we're in right now into the limitless possibilities of the divine itself. And so that's the key to freedom here, right? When you feel like you're trapped, when you feel like you're stuck, generally you can't see beyond the problem that you're in right now. You can't see beyond the feelings of being trapped or, or the sense of obligation or the difficulty of the boss or whatever it is that maybe is making you feel trapped. How can we begin bringing curiosity into our cage? to use it as the key. Well, I have some ideas. First of all, like a small child, start asking questions about the cage itself. Do I have to be in this situation? What would happen if I wasn't in this situation? How would I feel if the situation changed? Just like the little girl in my joke, be exhaustive in it. Examine all the possibilities instead of just thinking, well, it's either this or it's this, right? Usually that w- when we down to a difficult decision or, or feeling trapped, the trappedness usually seems like, well, I need this job or I could quit this job, right? Doesn't it often just come down to what seems like decisions that I don't like either one of them? In fact, have you heard the phrase, the lesser of two evils? 
when you find yourself having to choose the lesser of two evils, you don't have enough choices. <laughs> Here is where you need to engage that natural curiosity. Here is where you want to do brainstorming with yourself. Here is where you want to take that childlike ability to question everything and map out like five dozen changes that are possible, a gazillion options that are available to you. And that would be my suggestion. Picture yourself with at least 100 options. Now, some of you are going to go, oh, please let this not be the homework assignment, please. But when you're in one of those positions of being trapped, that would be exactly what I would recommend. Write down 100 different ways that the situation could be changed so that you would feel more free. Not just, uh, I'm going to get a divorce or I'm going to quit that job, or, right? It's like there's probably a hundred different ways that that job could be made more fun or more interesting or whatever it is that you're feeling trapped about it. There's probably a hundred different ways that that awkward relationship with your customer or your coworker or your partner, there's probably, in fact, a thousand different ways that that could be improved upon. And with your natural and playful sense of curiosity, you will have a chance at finding them out. The next thing I want to talk about is the idea of playfulness. And I want to read a, a, short, uh, a short quote from the book here to kind of launch us into the idea of playfulness as a literal key to get us out of any kind of a, uh, of a cage we feel that we're in. She says, when you feel light and carefree, when you have fun and laugh, everything is released. Through play, we connect to joy. We raise our mood. We practice socializing and connect to others. It's good for your body and good for your mind. Even science tells us so. There is a growing body of evidence that shows people come up with much better creative solutions when literally they're playful in their approach and not particularly attached to the outcome. Now, this last little bit I know is difficult because when you're feeling caged, when you're feeling that you don't have a lot of options, it's difficult to not be attached to the outcome. I, I get that. But what she's suggesting here, I think, is more fundamental than simple problem solving. What she is suggesting here is a fundamental law of spirit itself, and that is you cannot feel playful and feel trapped at the same time. I think it's actually that simple. You cannot feel playful, joyous, and trapped at the same time. Let me give you an example where this totally worked in my life. So um, as some of you probably know uh, that my mom came to, to live with me near the end of her life. And, and at first uh, we were thinking, actually, this was going to be a, a fun and, and great experience. Uh, but unfortunately, her body was not up to the task. Uh, unfortunately, very soon after she came to live with us in a house filled with stairs and all kinds of crazy inconveniences, she was no longer able to walk. And, uh, and the other awkward piece of it, a, a very large woman, she outweighed me by um, about 75 pounds. And so uh, being bound in a wheelchair and, and, and having a, a, just an assortment of physical needs, uh, it really wasn't something that I could do. But as you can imagine, 
didn't I feel the obligation to sort it out? Of course. So with my mother, this is someone, well, I'd been with them 50 some years, no matter how you look at it, right? And so absolutely that sense of feeling obligated, feeling trapped, certainly feeling loved. It's not like I wanted to just zip out of the scene, right? Totally recognizing the answer wasn't black and white, and yet feeling so obligated. I had made arrangements to, to have time off from work to help take her to doctor's appointments and a variety of things. You know, my, my sense of, you know, is my job on the line over this? Uh, but yet I have to do what's necessary. And so naturally I started looking at other options, including the possibility of her no longer living with me, but being in an assisted living arrangement uh, nearby so I could still see her every day, but nonetheless not have to worry about bathing and the myriad of other things that, that really we needed help doing. Well, my mother, for those of you who met her, and some of you have, uh, she sat there and she folded her arms and said, you're going to take me out of this house dead before you do anything like that. <laughs> Do any of you have relatives a, a, a bit like that? <laughs> and so I sat there, you know, oh gosh, well now I feel better, right? <laughs> and I thought, gosh. But I realized what was going on is she was picturing places like that from her experience from maybe 20, 30, 40 years earlier. She had never been to a modern assisted living arrangement. She had never been to one of those places that have the, the kind of panorama of care, everything from just someone who comes once a week and helps you with your laundry and stuff like that to full nursing, right? She, she was picturing uh, some kind of a, a scary rehab center, uh, a, a warehouse to go to die. That's what she was picturing. And so... Clever me, who, who knows my mother, I decided I simply needed to engage her curiosity and her playfulness. And I said to her one day, how about dinner and a movie? And she kind of looked at me and she said, well, I know it'll take a little bit of work, uh, but I've got someone that can help us with the wheelchair and, you know, with the logistics of, of driving and things like that. I think we should go to dinner and a movie. And she said, Okay, and I said, and it's at Holiday Park Plaza. For those of you that live here in the Portland area, that's a, a kind of a nice upscale, uh, one of the retirement homes near the Lloyd Center. And she said, oh, I knew there was a catch to this. You're talking me into visiting a retirement home, aren't you? And I said, yeah, and it's going to be fun. It's going to be dinner and a movie. And she said, what do you mean dinner and a movie? And I said, well, these places are quite different maybe than what you imagine. First of all, they're paying for our dinner. And the dinner, and, and I, of course, I had done my homework. I had the menu. <laughs> it was quite a nice menu that night. And they're showing an old movie. How long has it been since you've seen To Have and Have Not with Humphrey Bogart? And she was like, holy cow, really? And we had a lovely evening. So we get home, and it was a struggle getting home, I will admit. It was probably more 
than she would have been comfortable with in an evening. But still, what a blessing. And we had a lovely meal, a lovely evening. We get home and she said, I know what you're doing. <laughs> right? She's still a little bit of the full in our own thing. I know exactly what you're doing. And if you think I'm moving into that play, I said, no, that was just dinner and a movie. She's looking at me and I said, what about lunch and a nice bridge game on Wednesday? <laughs> and she's like, what are you doing? And I said, well, there's this other one called Courtyard Fountain out in Gresham and they have a bridge club there that meets on Wednesdays. And she goes, okay, all right, I see what you're doing. And I have to admit, I am kind of curious what some of these places are like. That was the entry into it, was engaging a bit of her playfulness around what she liked to do and a little bit of engaging her curiosity, honestly, because she had not been to any of these more modern situations. Now, you might think I was opening the cage for me, and of course I was, but I was opening the cage for her as well. Suddenly, the picture of her failing health had many more options to it. I can go to the movies even though I'm in a wheelchair. I can enjoy the bridge club even though uh, I can't drive to over to my friend's house and be with them. Suddenly, the cage vanished. Curiosity and playfulness. The other thing I did a, a few, uh, maybe about a month before that, we were just at each other's throats, is, would be a nice way of, of putting it. Uh, I was not meeting her needs as a caretaker, and she was not meeting my needs as uh, someone who needed care. She wanted things her way, and when she wanted things, and of course I was trying to fit it into my working arrangement and doing the things I needed to do, and, and although we're actually really both nice and calm and even-tempered people, uh, that might not have been your impression. Let me, just, let me just put it that way. And so one day I realized, well, if we're really going to get through this, I need to interject some fun into our lives. And so I started in my own head, you know, knowing this woman for 50 years, what are some of the things that she likes to do? Well, she likes to play cards. She likes seeing old movies. I made a little mental list and I instituted, and this was totally for me because I needed to survive this and still love my mother at the end of it. And so totally for me, I planned an hour of us enjoying each other's company every single day. There might be all kinds of difficulties going to the doctor or having a, a blood test to see if her blood thinner was working and all the craziness of logistics of wheelchair transport. All of that was there and feeling ever so heavy. But at two o'clock, we're going to play canasta. And she loves doing that. And I love doing that. At nine o'clock, we're going to see that old movie and we're going to try to figure out what modern actors would better play those roles. And I still tell you that you cannot replace Humphrey Bogart with Sean Connery. You just, you cannot do that, no matter what my mother believed. So, 
Do you see where I'm going with this? Do you see how, in a way, it's impossible to feel trapped and joyous at the same time? Now, it may not be a reversal for your situation, but you may not need to reverse it. You may not need to get out of the situation. You just need to put something into the situation. Your curiosity, your sense of play, your ability to know what would bring joy into the world. And whether it's just for you or whether it is a situation that involves someone else, the antidote is within your power. It is that childlike sense of play. It is that ability to question what looks like black or white, a a, a no-win situation. Well, in fact, what's your first clue that you're in a no-win situation? When do you think that it's a no-win situation, right? Right up front, you're saying, I don't even have two choices. (laughs) So we begin with that art of playful questioning. What are the hundred possibilities that actually exist here when I'm only seeing doom? What are the thousands of possibilities that I can tease out of this when it only looks like choosing between two evils? That's where the curiosity part comes in. That's where the playful interrogation, even of your own mind, comes in. Do I have to believe this? Does it have to go this way? So what I'm describing in terms of freedom It's kind of interesting. Today we're going to be doing a ceremony uh, around uh, a new practitioner that we have have found to be of excellent shape, and we're going to have an induction ceremony for her and so on. But it occurred to me as I was writing today's sermon about freedom that really what we're describing is the path of a practitioner. And so I wanted to to talk about it a little bit today. Uh, First of all, A practitioner, if they're good, has to be free. A practitioner has to have the calmness and the self-introspection so that they can look at circumstances and say, that's not the truth of what's going on here. You may be in a situation with a coworker or a family member that seems arduous, that seems inappropriate, that seems difficult, and that is not the truth of you. And in fact, in Practitioner One, we have a, a whole series of, uh, of classes and lessons around that. We learn about the principle of cause and effect, the basis of creation, how things get to be the way they are, the basics of both freedom and bondage. We begin learning about our beginning influences, how some of the things that happened in our childhood make us who we are today, but don't limit us by what the past brought to us, that we can see beyond those beginning influences and make new choices. We learn about the the human race consciousness influences, what society says about us, and, and we go beyond some of the limitations that that would appear to impose on us. We talk about addictive influences. We talk about how we make choices, both consciously and unconsciously, and how that when we begin making more conscious choices, Freedom is encountered. We talk about wisdom, faith, trust, seeking the sacred spiritual leadership. It's all geared to freeing the individual to be their authentic best. And to summarize it all, we call it practitioner one studies that lasts a whole year. The second year in practitioner two, the idea is 
we've healed most of what's going on in our own lives. We have that sense of freedom from our own situations. And in Practitioner 2, it's our opportunity to learn how to lead other people in that self-examination, how to know freedom, how to know joy, how to know peace for other people. And so we learn how to conduct a practitioner healing session, how to pray effectively for others. We learn about standards and ethics involved in having a professional practice. We learn how to, basically, everything that we learned about ourselves in Practitioner One, we learn how to apply it to someone else and to the world in general in Practitioner Two. We learn how to be of service, how to teach classes and workshops, policies and procedures, even business and legal matters around having a business uh, that is seeing other people professionally. Finally, of course, licensing. Um, something that happened uh, here yesterday, and uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit more uh, in a moment in a ceremony. So to summarize all this, what I would like to say is that curiosity allows us to see an infinity of possibilities for opening the cage. And whether you're a practitioner or whether you're a layperson, what I know is that natural curiosity when looked inward is really the answer to any caged possibility. If you're feeling lack, if you're feeling limitation, if you're feeling that your world is getting smaller instead of bigger, all of that starts on the inside. All of that is a function of your own curiosity about your inner world and is always, always a key to unlocking your cage. The other piece of it, of course, is playfulness. I got to tell you, we would not survive practitioner one and practitioner two if we did not have a sense of play, right? I, 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 I remember in one of the, in fact, uh, <laughs> in fact, Simona can probably uh, correct me here as to what session it was, but I remember uh, the three of at that time the class was down to Nancy and Simona and I, and and uh, Simona said, well. Today we're going to talk about sexual dysfunction. Ought to be fun. <laughs> and I remember what a blessing to be able to approach all these subjects that may come up in front of a practitioner to be examined or resolved or talked about, to, to know the truth about. What a blessing that even something as crazy as that we can approach it with a playfulness, with a sense of why not ask questions about it, a sense of honest curiosity. All right, on to homework, and then we're, we're going to do our, uh, our bit of a ceremony here after, after doing the, um, the conscious giving. So your homework is a simple one. How can you introduce playfulness and curiosity into your own lives right now? If there's a place where you're feeling bound up, if there's a place where your circle of influence feels like it's getting smaller, uh, if your ability to be your authentic self is being compromised, how might you use curiosity and playfulness to make a shift in your own thinking? Perhaps a shift in your complete life. So I'm going to finish with a, a quote from Ernest Holmes here. Um, this comes from uh, his book, this, Call, this Thing Called You. Ernest Holmes, of course, the founder of Science of Mind. This is what he had to say about this subject. He says, the spirit is happy, whole, free, and filled with joy. It's eternal in its existence, and it can provide you with everlasting expansion. All your highest hopes and dreams, of course, have come from this one source. 
The echo of its being is in your intellect. The voice of its unspoken word is in your mind. The feeling of its light and life is in your playful heart. The emotion of its imagination in your soul always. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one life, one goodness, one sense of playfulness, one universal curiosity about itself. This is God. This is that, that effervescence of God, that zestful and joyous God, that God with the energy to do and to be filled with delight. And because this is true in general, because it's true for everyone, of course, I claim my share of it. I recognize that my life is joyous, that, that I move forward each day with delight, introducing curiosity and playfulness into all that I do freeing myself from any sense of bondage, whether it's real or imagined, I step out in freedom. As it is true for me, I know without question, it can be true for every person within my hearing that every person on this planet has the capability of experiencing joy and freedom. And through these, these magical keys that I will call curiosity and playfulness, that freedom can be experienced. So for this, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the hearts, the, ha the hands, and the minds of the people in this room. Grateful for life itself. I let it be, and so it is. So thank you for being here today. So glad you joined us. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.com. US /donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.